from an economic viewpoint, from a moral standpoint. When homelessness is decreased, everybody wins. That's the bottom line. Amen, Greg Shin. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. Today we're finishing up the second part of our two-part series on Oklahoma's point-in-time counts. In our last episode, we looked at Oklahoma City, and today we're looking at the brand spanking fresh off the presses numbers for Tulsa's point-in-time count. They literally um, aren't even official yet. Uh, Our associate director and chief housing officer, Gregory Shin, uh, has top-secret information that by the time this comes out, it won't be so top secret, but right now we feel very privileged and it's very fun. So, Greg, welcome to the Mental Health Download. Thank you, Matt. It's uh, good to be here with you again talking about this really important topic. Yeah, bef- before we get into the pit count numbers, uh, talk about uh, you know how much fun it was talking to Dan Strawn about Oklahoma City's point in time count in, in the, uh, the previous episode. Well, I loved interviewing Dan and... Um, He's a colleague and a partner, and he has knowledge and historical perspective that really few people have, not just in Oklahoma or Oklahoma City, but really uh, what he knows and can talk about uh, related to homelessness is on par with most subject matter experts across the country. And not only that, he's just a lot of fun to talk to. Um, He's in his own folksy way, he's just um, a dear person and a beloved partner, and uh, really, really enjoyed being able to uh, interview him for the mental health download. It was just chock full of information. Yeah, it was a great episode. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so um, now we're gonna get right into this. So, you tell tell us what's been going on today. Tell us about the meeting you just got out of. What was the environment like in there? So every year. Um, all of the advocates and uh, the data uh, techs uh, from across our community that participate in the continuum of care known as a way home for Tulsa. We gather together. The Community Service Council is the convener here in Tulsa, and we had many organizations present in the room today representing all the nonprofits, uh, faith community the shelters, housing providers, the data gurus, and uh, even information services, uh, media, and so forth. So we really try to work on making sure that we have correct information and that we can get the message out to the general public. We can get the message out to the media outlets. Um, Talk to people like you, Matt Gleason, that Um, really spread information and do a great job getting the word out because it's important that the data is accurate because we track it year over year, but because homelessness is still a problem in our community. And so the advocates are really eager every single year to get their hands on this information and to say, what does the story tell us this year about our combined efforts? Because it's very collaborative and we all work so hard at it and we're so invested in it. And we want every single person that experiences homelessness to be back in housing. And so um, we're so passionate about that. We work so hard at it, no matter what your role is in the community. We're just eager to find out what did the numbers tell us this year. So 
when we're looking at this data right now, this is just, a, you know, I'm looking at this sheet right now and it's just a bunch of, you know, ones and zeros and six and fives. And but these, this, these numbers represent people. Um, yeah. So, you know, tell us about, um, tell us about January 24 or, you know, tell us about January 24th, 2019. That's when everybody got together to, count the number of people experiencing homelessness to go out to encampments under bridges in shelters even within our housing um, because some of the people our most vulnerable tenants are technically counted as experiencing homelessness um, which we'll touch on um, but talk about the huge undertaking that goes on to make this point in time count happen well it really takes um, dozens of people that get very organized super early in the morning to go out to pre-designated areas across this county, which are mapped out using geo-mapping uh, and, and looking at where we know encampments are, where homeless individuals are known to gather across the county along the Arkansas River, east and west of the river, known gathering points to the south, um, near and around the downtown area, in the business district, as well as those people that are counted in the shelters. So it's a combination of counting those that have sought a shelter bed for the night, usually on a very cold night in January, because that's when it's historically done across the country. And it was done on January 24th of 2019. And so we count those that are unsheltered, that are out there in the elements. God forbid any of us has to experience that and try to literally survive that day by day. But unfortunately, there are a bunch of people out there every single year. And we get all of our outreach teams. We get law enforcement. We get the service providers, the Veterans Administration, the nonprofits, the street outreach workers. We we go out to where we know people are, where we think we can find people. They take time. They crawl around all over the place. They approach people with massive amount of respect and caution, and they try to find out as much as they can about the men, women, and children, yes, children, that are experiencing unsheltered homelessness as well as those that are in shelter beds, there's a lot of people that are in shelter beds, too. We do have a robust shelter system. But then also, as you said, we count people that have experienced homelessness previously that might be not on the street anymore but still counted as homeless because they're just in temporary or transitional housing or in safe haven. And so those individuals are still counted as homeless. But also how many are in permanent housing now that were previously homeless and all of the housing programs get counted so we can try to keep track of, well, how many more people did we house this year compared to last year? How many more veterans? How many more families? And so forth. So that's what it looks like every single year. It's a big coordinated effort of community advocates and professionals um, across sectors in the city. Okay. So, so Greg, we're not going to make anybody wait any longer. Uh, Lay the numbers on us. So um, what we saw in this 2019 point in time count on January 24th was our, uh, our raw count was 
1,188 individuals experiencing homelessness, and in 2018, that same number was 1,083. So we saw a 9.7% increase in 2019. And out of those, 659 were an emergency shelter, 296 were unsheltered, which was an increase, eight were in safe haven, and 225 were in some type of interim or transitional housing, which is a grand total of 1,188. And again, that's a 9.7% increase, despite the fact that we even housed more people than ever before in 2018. So the trend is still slightly upward year over year. Um, so I'm literally, like you, kind of flipping through this document yeah. <laughs> that has all the point time yeah. count numbers in it. But what's interesting, well, one, I want you to clarify, and this has always kind of confused me, um, explain that someone explain safe haven in very simple terms and why that's included in this point in time count. Right. So both safe haven and transitional housing are still counted as homeless, even though they're indoors in a housing facility. Safe haven and transitional have are usually time limited. Um, so because of the variation of the types of type styles and locations of the different safe haven and transitional housing models across the country, HUD still counts those individuals as being homeless because they have not achieved permanent housing. It isn't until a family or a veteran or a young person or a chronically homeless adult is in permanent housing that they are no longer part of the homeless count. So they can take small steps like being in a shelter bed or being in a safe haven unit or being in a transitional housing program and they're still counted as homeless. Not until they move into permanent housing are they no longer considered homeless under the HUD definition. Okay. Um, so another really key um, data point in this is that um, the, the question is, do, do any of these apply to you? Uh, mental health issues, substance abuse, physical disability, victim of violent or victim of domestic violence, and the by far it's uh, mental health issues. So 644 individuals um, were counted, which makes up about 52.4 percent of the people who were counted. Um, that's that's pretty remarkable. Um, 330 said. Substance abuse, 451 physical uh, disability, and 277 victim of domestic violence. Um, you know, when when people look at that there were 644 people um, experiencing mental health issues in this count, what is what does that say to you? Are we doing our are we doing our job as a community serving people with mental illness? Um, well, so what, I, what does that what does that data say to me, you? Let me tease that out for you just a little bit, okay? Because sure. there are two different parts of the survey. The numbers that I gave you, 1,188, that's the total count. But when we look at how the count is conducted, there are those that go out in the field and count, and then there are individuals that complete surveys. So out of the ones that were surveyed, 
which is 978 individuals, which is a little bit higher than the year before, completes a comprehensive survey which has many individual characteristics and demographics and, and health-related conditions and questions or issues related to domestic violence and so forth. So, so the mental health number, 52.4%, includes those that were unsheltered or sheltered in a shelter bed that completed the survey, as well as those that were in supportive housing programs that completed the survey. So, so there you're looking at a combination of still homeless and formerly homeless that were reporting mental health issues at a rate of 52.4%. So I think it speaks to the fact that yes, we are housing individuals with mental health issues, with substance use disorders, with physical disabilities, those that have histories of domestic violence. We are getting those people into housing. So that's great because they need a lot of assistance and we want them to have access to housing right now. Uh, but also it speaks to the fact that they're still among those that are counted as homeless. There's still high prevalence rates of individuals that have those kinds of characteristics that make them extremely vulnerable. Obviously, if you've got mental health problems and you're still homeless, you're, vul you're more vulnerable. You're more vulnerable if you have substance use uh, issues and you're still counted as homeless or if you have physical disabilities or you've experienced domestic violence. So those combined totals show that we're housing people that have those characteristics, but we still have a lot more people with those characteristics and we really have to bring resources to the table of the housing plus the services to help those individuals address all those issues at the same time, which is what we're trying to do through housing first. Yeah. So there's another there's another section. You can hear me flipping the pages. Uh, so there's another section of this that says types of service needed. Um, and so this is of the uh, 1,338 surveyed. Um, so what's interesting and not surprising, 42% um, said food service, 45 said health care, 33% um, said job training, um, life skills training is at 26%, mental health treatments at almost 38%, um, mental health services for children, which there were 40 people who said that was a need. Um, that's 3.4%, 3, 3 but that's still a lot of people who are requiring services for children. Um, yeah. And then, and then substance abuse treatments, um, about 181 people at 15%, which is Seems a little low to well, me, actually. Well, let's, let's, again, let's interpret some of this sure. data. So, sure. So let's be very clear that this is self-reported data. And when they're completing these surveys, as you said, over 1,300 people. So if that's the case, when they every one of them has the ability to check as many categories on this list as they feel like they want to because it applies to them. They can also choose not to click one of those categories, even if it is potentially an issue were you to do a really thorough interview or assessment of an individual. However, that's the same way that it's conducted every single year. So we can see some you know, general trends here. And you do see that mental health is always health care, mental health care, uh, transportation, 
uh, really look, the top two are a housing, housing and transportation at 53% and 51%. So if you really want to say, well, all these people are filling out this survey and so many of them are still homeless, you would think that would be by far the highest category. But again, this is what people are choosing to answer. So, so housing and transportation um, coming up at the highest categories, uh, followed by healthcare at 45.7%, food services. We're talking survival here, just food, okay? <laughs> For over 42%, almost 43%. Dental, look at that, 46%. Um, it's really a tragedy, and mental health at 37%. So that could be an underreport, but this is self-reported data. Regardless, when you're looking at how many surveys we conduct in 35 40%, I mean, mental health is a significant issue. Healthcare is a significant issue. And need of employment is a significant issue. Um, housing, of course, the number one. But really, let's let's be real here. Does any of that surprise any of us? You don't have to be a homeless advocate. Why are people homeless? They don't have housing. There's no access to housing. They have all these other issues that they need to be addressing at the same time. They need the health care. They need a job. Uh, they need food on the table. They need mental health care. They need, they need, there's, Millions of people across the country, millions and millions of people that are addressing all those issues while they are housed. The people that are unhoused need to address the same issues. The magnitude of the problem, it just proliferates when people don't even have the basic necessities like food and shelter. I mean, if you don't have food and shelter, you're going to have mental health and health issues. I mean, it's just, it all goes together. So it's uh, you know, as an advocate working at this for more than 30 years, it's very frustrating. We're housing more people. We know what the solution is. The solution is access to affordable housing. We're, we're housing more people year over year, yet we seem the same societal problems. You know, there's just problems with people that do have a job. They don't make enough money to afford housing. We have eviction rates that are still too high. People that are vulnerable, low-income wage earners, people struggling with access to health care or no health care, they can't, what are they going to pay for? Are you going to buy food? Are you going to pay for your health care? Are you going to pay the rent? Well, there we go. You end up with high eviction rates. So it's these, it's these uh, factors that are producing this flow into homelessness. And if people don't make enough money, if they have a disability, if they don't have health care, if they can't access affordable housing, well, the homeless numbers are going to go up. And we're trying to increase the access to affordable housing, but the people coming into homelessness are outpacing the access to affordable housing. And there we just see these numbers going up slightly year over year. Previously, we had a little bit of a downward trend right after the recession, but since then it's kind of been going up and it's just, uh, it's really aggravating because we work so hard at it. But even within that data, I got to tell you, there are a few hidden gems and I'd like to talk about a few yeah. of those positive Please. trends. Okay. Let's, let's take a look yes, at where we are making uh, some progress. So let's talk about veterans. God bless our veterans serving our country. Yes, 
men and women, and the Veterans Administration have put has put a lot of resources. The uh, the uh, um, HUD, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, and the VA have teamed up, and the U.S. Interagency Council on Homelessness in Washington D.C. Um, many communities across the country have signed up to, with task forces on veteran homelessness. So here in Oklahoma, we know the count went down about 10% last year, but here in Tulsa, we even exceeded that. We saw our veteran count drop by 15.9% this year in January 24th of 2019. So let's celebrate that we decreased yeah. our veteran count to below 100. It went from 113 to 95. So that's a really, uh, really positive statistic. And within that, there's a couple of uh, uh, key factors if you go to the more detailed survey. If you take a look at the HUD-VASH program, that is the partnership between HUD and the VA, you get a housing subsidy from HUD and ongoing services from the VA to our formerly homeless veterans, and we saw a 7% increase in veterans in the participating in the HUD-VASH program. So we had 294 veterans in the HUD-VASH program, where in 2018 we had 275. So year over year, we're seeing an increase of veterans participating in HUD-VASH, which is considered permanent housing, and so those veterans are no longer counted among the homeless. So. When you see an increase of veterans that were homeless going into permanent housing, you're going to see a decrease in the literally homeless count among veterans, and we did see that this year. And I, I just want to say that's a really great statistic. So that is an amazing we need to keep statistic. doing it Thanks until there's zero. Uh, there shouldn't be a single homeless yes, veteran, uh, but that is one area that we can focus on. Yeah. And what, uh, so what was the chronic homelessness number? So the chronic homeless count is really complicated now. Um, unfortunately, the chronic homeless count went up this year. Um, uh, it had a fairly significant um, increase of uh, 15 point, uh, let me see, hold on, 22.5%. That's really unfortunate because we put so much effort into um, housing those individuals that are the most vulnerable and have been homeless the longest, which is the chronically homeless individuals, which is 305 people this year. And um, like I said, that's a 22.5% increase. One of the complicating factors here is that previously we had been tracking the chronically homeless count and for a number of years we were actually below 100 and we thought we were going to end chronic homelessness in Tulsa. Well, since that time, um, HUD has changed the definition of who gets counted as chronically homeless. And one of the most recent changes is not only does it include having to be homeless for one year or more continuously or four times in the last three years with a disability, and that disability has always been defined by a physical disability or a mental health disability, but now they have added the category of if you report substance use as your only disabling condition, now you're considered as disabled and counted among the individuals who are chronically homeless. So you don't have to be having a physical disability or a mental health disability. You can just say, I've been homeless for a year and I have a substance use is one of my issues, is, uh, is using uh, 
substances, and so they'll count you as chronically homeless. So if you add those individuals who only report substance abuse as a disabling condition, that is going to make our chronic homeless count go up. So the 305, we can't really compare it to where we were saying we were below 100 before because this whole group of individuals that weren't counted before is now counted among the chronically homeless. So they're going to go back and they're going to add that to the definition of past years, which will make our historical chronic homeless count seem like it was higher than it was before. Regardless, it's a moot point. We want people to get into housing faster than we're able to move them into housing now. And the longer they're homeless, the more chronically homeless people, it just goes to show we're still having people that are homeless too long. We need to get more people into housing faster and not let so many people age into chronic homelessness, as it were. So I will say there's one other gem there in trying yes, to sir. count that, which is the number of rapid rehousing units that we have. And if you look at the increase in rapid rehousing, it, it's really substantial. So if we can get to the right page there on the number of <laughs> rapid rehousing units, um, it, we've seen a really significant increase uh, in the number of rapid rehousing, um, people accessing rapid rehousing. In fact, I think it's over 400 now. So despite the fact that our count went up, as I said, we've still housed more people than ever before. So hidden within that count going up is the fact that we're working harder than ever before. And we're housing more people than ever before, both through permanent supportive housing, transitional housing, rapid rehousing. So if you dig deep, you'll see we still housed more people than we did the year before. That's a positive. The overall number went up. That's a negative. But our collaborative efforts, our coordinated efforts on the street outreach, on housing people, on coordinated entry, the numbers are hidden in there. We're doing a better job. We're getting more advanced because we know what works. We just aren't scaling the resources to meet the demand. We're working harder and harder. Kudos to our partners at Away Home for Tulsa. They are heroes saving lives every single day. Yes, so kudos to all of them, the shelter directors, John 316, Salvation Army, Day Center for the Homeless, Domestic Violence Intervention Services, Tulsa County Emergency Shelter, um, any others, Dayspring Villa, anybody that I'm leaving out, I mean, everybody, they're rock stars. They, every day, they're full. Every day, they work their butts off. And we're housing more people than ever before, and it's reflected in these numbers. So I don't want that to go unnoticed. That's a hidden gem that you really have to drill into this data to realize, despite the fact that our count went up. We worked so hard together, we housed even more people than ever before at the same time. So I really want that message to come out to our listeners, Matt. This is a team yes, effort. It's the Mental Health Association, Oklahoma, plus, 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 25, 35 other organizations, law enforcement, the city of Tulsa, Tulsa County. It's all of us together. We're in it together. We're in it to win it. We work so hard at it. We'll never give up until not one single child is left homeless, not one veteran is left homeless, not one family, not one youth is out there with no place to go 
or nobody that's been homeless a long time that's chronically homeless with a disability. Every single one of them deserves to be in housing that they can afford in the neighborhood that they want to live in. That's what it means to effectively end homelessness. And if anybody goes into homelessness because of the eviction, because of a disaster, a fire, anything that happens, whatever, we should have the resources in our community to house them within a matter of weeks so they never get counted among the homeless ranks again. We, our resources need to be at the scale where we can match the inflow into homelessness no matter what causes it. And that's the end goal of all the partners at Away Home for Tulsa. The funders, the service providers, the city officials, government officials, elected officials, advocates, people with lived experience participate in Away Home for Tulsa. They have a really important voice, but our combined goal, all of them, is to end it. And that's how we're gonna end it, is scaling our resources to meet the demand. Because our community can't afford to keep paying the price that we are for this, both in human terms and financial terms. Um, you know, you, you're the one who kind of came up with this data um, that was, um, made national news when you did it um, in Florida, based off your Florida study. Talk about the cost of homelessness, how much it costs. You know, when we look at these numbers, it's people, and it's also they are requiring services, even though they're experiencing homelessness. It's really expensive to keep them on the streets. Talk, talk about that. Right. Well, I mean, the cost of homelessness um, is staggering. The, the sheer economic impact of homelessness on any community in the country is such a negative that purely on economic terms, everybody in the community should be completely motivated to end homelessness because it's financially non-sustainable. Our report here in Tulsa is, is several years old now, but it did show uh, uh, over 10,000, somewhere between 10 and $20,000 per year per individual. It, it, it it's costs more to let somebody cycle through homelessness, through the shelter, through emergency rooms, through incarceration, um, back out onto the street, and then continually being homeless, never getting out of that cycle. Um, and when I did this study in Florida, it was over $20,000 per year differential. And we heard Dan Strong say yesterday that the current number in Oklahoma City is it's, it's $11,000 per year per person to allow somebody to be homeless than it is to provide the housing plus the services to house that same individual. Even if they can't pay to get into the housing, that doesn't matter to start with. We just need to get them into the housing because that cost savings is going to be realized because they're not out there incurring costs in the public sector. And yes, my Florida studies have proven it. There's many studies across the country that have proven it over and over again. So just from the sheer economic impact of it, our elected officials, our chambers of commerce, anybody in the business community should be crying just because of that we got to end homelessness and doing everything we can to build out housing to create access to the existing housing to end homelessness just to avoid the economic impact. Because if you take the count that we have here, 305 individuals experiencing chronically homeless, chronic homelessness, and you multiply that times 10 or $20,000 per year per person, 
and you multiply that times 10 years, 15 years, however some long, some of these people have been homeless, it's millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars over time. And what community has the money to sustain that negative economic impact? No community does. Certainly Oklahoma, which we're not the richest state in the country, that's for sure. We don't have the resources to waste. We don't have the manpower to waste. Why are, why are our law enforcement teams spending time arresting people for crimes related to homelessness? Those same people could be in housing, not getting arrested. Why are those individuals taking up space, time, and money in the county jail? They should be in housing. If they had housing, we know nine out of 10 times housing first works. They're not gonna be getting arrested anymore. Why are we paying for them to take up space in the county jail? That's wrong for us to be spending money on that. So just, it's a financial imperative, not to mention it's a moral imperative. Let's just talk about the humanity. The most humane thing to do, the quality of life for everybody increases when people have a safe, decent, and affordable place to live. Who wants more homeless people on the street? Um, you know, who wants that? Businesses don't want that. Uh, the chamber doesn't want that. Uh, the faith community doesn't want that. It's, it's a bad thing from the quality of life perspective. It's bad for the homeless individual who's gonna die many, many years earlier than the general population who's not experiencing homelessness. It's bad for the homeless individual. It's bad for the homeless family. It's bad for the homeless veteran. It's bad for their quality of life. It's bad for the quality of life for everybody else in the community. And here we are in a city with 750 churches within our city limits. We like to count our city as among those cities where our faith is really important, whatever your faith community is that you belong to. And we wear that on our shirt sleeves as a badge of honor. We're a community of people with deep faith and Every faith community believes that it's your, it's your marching orders to take care of your brother, to take care of your sister from a moral imperative. And carrying out our faith means that we're going to help those that need a hand up. They need a help up, and we need to help them. So what I say is that it's really a moral imperative and it's certainly a financial imperative. It's the right thing to do. There's no other way to look at it. Everybody wins when homelessness is decreased. There is no loser in that formula. From an economic viewpoint, from a moral standpoint, when homelessness is decreased, everybody wins. That's the bottom line. Amen, Greg Shin. I love it when you get on your soapbox, okay. man. That is awesome. <laughs> it's so good. Oh man, I'm ready to, let's go in homelessness right now. Like, what are you doing? Let's, let's, let's do it. it. Let's, <laughs> let's scale up our resources. We know what works. We're going to do a new yeah. cost study as a part of the strategic plan and homelessness, which is going on right now. It's all being updated. It's going to tell us, it's going to give us great information. We might learn some things, but we already know we need to scale the resources to meet the demand. And that's what it's going to come down to. And we can do a better job using the resources we currently have. And we can bring new resources to bear. We know housing first works. I agree, Matt Gleason. Let's go do it. Okay, we're almost out of time. So I just want to make a really quick point that, like we said, these numbers represent humans. They represent men, women, children. 
um, all who are in need. And what's wonderful about this pit count, the pit count, that's what people call it, uh, point in time count. Um, what's, what's wonderful about it is that it's not just, hey, you're counted and we move on. It's it's starting a relationship. Noe Rodriguez, who re- leads our street outreach team, he tells me every year he goes out, he loves the point in time count because he gets to go out just like he does every day, but you know, that's what Noe enjoys. But he goes out and he starts a conversation, starts a relationship with someone, especially our most vulnerable citizens experiencing homelessness. And he meets them face to face. And yes, he does count them, but he also does, um, he does a screening on them that helps determine their vulnerability to get them into housing faster. And the the day after the, the point town count is over, Noe and his team are back out in the field following up with those same people. So it really is a, uh, a wonderful starting point to uh, someone's journey to get off the streets into housing, you know, secure job training and treatment and get support groups and restart their lives. So when I, when I look at the point in time count, that's what I look at. I look at this is, this should be something we celebrate that, you know, we are making a concerted effort nationwide to see people for where they are and that we are going to get them into housing as soon as we possibly can. Some people may be ashamed of the point in time count. I see it as a, as a wonderful thing you know, that there's so many amazing people out there working so hard, just like Greg was saying. So anyway, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, thank you for going to that meeting. Thank you for explaining this very, very complicated, uh, these numbers, putting them into very understandable terms. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as everybody who was a part of the point in time count is doing every day, and is kind of a reminder to us all to go do good things.